We want to make sure that we check a lot of boxes outside of just lacrosse ability. Obviously, the academic component, because Queens is a very strong school. And then trying to find guys that want to be really strong athletes, high-performance producers. That was Queens head coach Chris Panos. He's the guest on this week's Chasing the Goal podcast. Welcome to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast, your destination for all things lacrosse. I'm your host, Kyle Devitt. Alongside me, Mr. Jack Piatelli. Jack, how we doing? Doing really well. No complaints. I'm still here and always great to be in the company of Kyle Devitt. No question about it. Wow. What an, what an intro for me. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's the holiday season. <laughs> yeah, it's your that's your gift only, to me? That's the only reason. <laughs> that's your gift. All right. Well, luckily, we have a gift for everyone listening. It's Queens head coach, Chris Panos. Coach, how are we doing? I'm doing great. I appreciate you guys having me on the show and I did a little bit of research and you guys with your resumes, it's incredible to join you guys today. Oh, yeah, no, oh you, you, wow. Kyle's resume? Really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you so much. It, it, it's not, it wasn't that long, was it? You got uh, through it pretty quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, I'm, yeah it's, it's, come on, man. No, I know. You, you know. <laughs> it's See, pretty good. It's pretty good. Right before we started the podcast, we were saying that sometimes we throw punches in the studio. And Coach, you told us you had a, a remedy for that. What is that on your desk? I mean, I literally have a punching bag that has like a suction cup that just lays on the end of the desk and you can you can wrap it backhanded, punch it, front swing, whatever you need to do to take care of business when things get frustrating. That is something we would love to utilize in studio. Absolutely. Do you know if you they, you can get them with Kyle's face on them? <laughs> uh, well, sometimes we print out and we just kind of just use that scotch tape and we that paper doesn't last very long. <laughs> that's, that's fair enough. Fair enough. Let's talk about things that that did last long. You've been at Queens now. You took over as the head coach in 2018, led them through the last couple of years. And one of the most exciting things about the program is you're transitioning from Division Two right into Division One. And we have a lot of questions around that because we're going to learn and you're going to teach us and you're going to teach the rest of the audience as well. What was the first step in that process that you were involved in? Not much, to be honest with you. It was just more formulation behind the president council, senior leadership with regards to a university move, not necessarily athletically driven. So for us, we were sort of in the landscape of we were certainly supportive of that. But nonetheless, it was sort of about a year long process and a collaborative effort with a lot of committees, quite frankly. So I would say we, we kind of got the good news sort of when they, I guess they felt that everything was kind of falling into place. That way there was no rumors, so to speak. So ultimately we're excited to have the opportunity to kind of transition upward and the challenge that lay, that may lie ahead, we're, we're, we're excited to tackle those. So coach, what does that mean becoming a division one program in terms of rules, regulations, when you can play um, in postseason scholarship money? so on and so forth. Yeah, certainly lots to take in there. I mean, from division two to division one, obviously a lot of the bylaws are, are similar, but certainly just lots to digest. But ultimately in terms of us being able to participate in our conference play, the Atlantic Sun, we would have that opportunity from the get-go to get into our own tournament. However, if we were to win that tournament, we wouldn't be able to advance into the NCAA playing field with the automatic qualifier. That would be a four-year penalty to my knowledge, and that's certainly something that will be up for debate at some point. But but ideally, that's kind of the, the blueprint that we're going by. So 
ideally the, the Atlantic Sun for us is sort of our Super Bowl, so to speak. Yeah, it's funny. When Merrimack jumped up to Division One. I don't think they were allowed to play in their conference championship for a four-year period. So what you're telling us is you'll be allowed, if you qualify, to play in the conference postseason tournament? Yes, sir. Yeah, so basically the ASUN would have 10-team field, including us, and, and basically narrowing down the field, the top six would then get into the ASUN conference play. So that's sort of our our goal, if you will, is to to get a seat at the table with those six and kind of just see from there how, how we advance from the program. So has that rule changed since the last four years, allowing Division Two program jumping up to Division One, allowing them to play in the postseason for conference championship? That's a really good question. I'm not 100% sure to speculate on that, but what I know is we're, we're in a pretty good spot where you know, we, we, we have that opportunity and we, we definitely cherish that. That's great in terms of recruiting players. And now that you can play in postseason conference championship play versus not being able to play. Oh, 100%. I mean, again, if you look at the conference top to bottom, you got service academies, you got power five schools, and we're excited to be in those conversations and, and the landscape of it all geographically. So when we're talking to the kids, it's those are the certainly the things we talk about is you have an opportunity to be sort of a pioneer in, in an upstart program, Division One, respectfully, and maybe seeing minutes earlier in your career that you may not at maybe a bigger program. I feel like less is more for us in terms of our quality and our methodology of who we want to bring into the family, so to speak. So it's always going to be academically driven, but I, I also believe that we have a lot to offer socially and in terms of where we are located as well. Yeah, I will tell you that I tried to help do Division Two All-Americans this year, and it was tough because I couldn't use Lindenwood or Queens guys for the preseason list because you're all going D1. And, and you had you played, we talk a lot on this show about the NE10 being kind of one of the gold standards of, of Division Two, And I would say the, the Southern equivalent is definitely the SAC, which is the league that you guys played in. And you did well at co- conference record of 7-3 and three last season. How do you see your success in the SAC translating to the next level and do you think that conference really did prepare you for a jump to division one yeah absolutely i mean if you look top to bottom in the sack i mean i don't need to rattle off the teams but you know there's very very good top 15 top 20 teams on and to your point of the ne 10 certainly much respect to the north but i would say graphically it's shifted quite frankly to the south and you're seeing a lot stronger teams coming out of the south which is exciting for many reasons just for the growth of the game but for us it's just how we, how we approach things doesn't really change the attention to detail and how we how we approach the day and trying to do everything with a high mindset of execution if you will the, obviously the caliber of competition the conference landscape we're certainly abreast of that but we're going to work small and think big and, and and think about the little things and try to just establish our identity fast tough physical prepared and just we're going to play hard for 60 minutes despite what the other team has reservations about us or not I think it's great for our listeners to learn a little bit about Queens, and we are the New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Goal podcast. So I'm going to guess that a lot of our listeners don't know a lot about, a lot about Queens' location, how many students, and what the school offers. So if you could just fill us in on all three. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're located in Myers Park, part of Charlotte, which is the very affluent area, beautiful neighborhood, and yet we're about three miles from from the city of Charlotte. 
which is about the 15th largest city in the U.S. and the second largest banking city financially behind New York. So in terms of the growth of that and just our business school, the McCall School of Business has an accreditation that schools like Duke and Chapel Hill have. So I think, again, with that and our close proximity to the city and our Bank of America affiliation, a lot of our players gravitate to the business field. And that could be anything from finance, accounting, business administration, sports management. And it's just a great opportunity for our guys to be in a city, but yet nestled in a really quaint neighborhood of Myers Park with NBA and NFL at your fingertips. We've got minor league hockey, minor league baseball, NASCAR, Charlotte Motor Speedway. So there's a lots of activities. We've got lakes, rivers, mountain streams, and we're close to that. All those types of activities, fishing, guys go camping. We're about two and a half hours from Wilmington, if you will, so the ocean. So there's there's things for guys to do, but we're a smaller school, probably in the 1900 range of undergraduate, and we probably offer about 500 more in the graduate program, where, again, our MBA is incredible. And quite frankly, some of our guys have gotten the opportunity with COVID eligibility to just garner another year of academics and higher excellence there. So I think we're not the grandioso party scene by any means. We're we're just sort of a blue collar, just tight knit group of guys that want to be successful in all areas, community service, fundraising, outreach. We do everything at an elite level, or at least that's our goal every day. And hopefully we're in four years, they're off to greener pastures and, and become great alumni. So hopefully in a nutshell, that kind of give you a glimpse of sort of Queens. Our sports complex, just to mention that is sort of an offsite where our locker room, our strength conditioning, our offices are. So it's just like it's our home away from home over there. So the guys can get to get away a little bit. But it's it's nose to the grindstone mentality and just guys that want to really have sweat equity in the program. And as we move forward, bringing in guys that have the vision and the dream to be an elite level performer and kind of go from there. One thing you didn't mention, coach, is the weather must be nice weather down where you are. I mean, that's that's going to be attracting some players instead of going to upstate New York and playing in the middle of February, that's for sure. Yeah, I would say we have a lot to offer in that regard, too, with teams, again, to your point. I'm a Long Island guy, so I know the weather, and it's just like I always feel like teams wanted to go south when I coached at Tampa. Teams are always trying to come south in February to get, get some legs under them in the warmer weather and then go back to the freezing cold. But I think that's a bonus for us and an advantage where we're probably on the field a month in advance. And it's like, hey, come on down. And they're just getting their hands ready and we're ready to go. So we're kind of looking at that as an opportunity to grow the program and, and really look at our out-of-conference schedule as we'll, we'll, we'll play on we'll play anybody. Yeah, and from a scheduling standpoint, it's a huge advantage. To your point is you'll have a number of schools northeast that will want to come down and, and play you where if you weren't located where you are, they probably wouldn't, at least for the first couple of years. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the close proximity to the airport, too. I mean, we're literally about six miles from that. So you're in and out in like 20 minutes. Now, because you're becoming a Division One lacrosse program, not only the lacrosse program, but the university is becoming a Division One athletic school, there are plans to build more athletic facilities, invest more money in all the programs? I would think so. We're trying to establish our new Royals Club, so an overall massive fundraising campaign just for athletics in general in the school. They just kind of just look at, at projects and prioritize but certainly from an athletic standpoint, I think there's some big things on the horizon and just trying to navigate in the strategic framework of how they do that will be university driven. But I feel like our programs are destined for success with what we have now. But obviously, we certainly want to increase the landscape there in terms of recruiting and just things we can offer with amenities and things of that nature. Coach, you have an extensive indoor lacrosse background. And I noticed on your roster, fair amount of Canadians, including a goalie, which I don't remember the last time I saw a Canadian goalie that wore 
on a roster. So can you kind of talk about how bet, that I, works in your uh, favor? Coach, I bet you the goalie's a lefty too. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Tell me a little uh, bit about that uh, connection. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, my I was fortunate enough to to play 12 years in the National Lacrosse League. And kind of in order to really do that, I had to sort of pioneer myself up in the Canadian box ranks and just kind of cut my teeth there and take my lumps and, and ultimately produce a better player each year for me to advance my career in the National Lacrosse League. So, so really my relationship forged from that. And then just, again, just communication, networking. And a lot of my coaches that I've played with have gone on to either grow club programs and, and stay involved in the junior ranks and whatnot. So so that's just phone calls and just constant communication of the top players that also if you want to be successful. And I think with those relationships across Canada, I've been fortunate to have quite a few guys. And it just seems like there's certain pipelines, you know, BC, obviously, Ontario and Alberta seem to be the three that come to mind now. But we, we have a guy on the roster from Quebec now. We've had guys from Saskatchewan in the past. I mean, our roster, when you really look at it, it's probably 15 to 16 different states represented in the U.S. We've talked to kids from Finland and Japan. I mean, so we're getting our name out there and the exposure is grand. And also with my ability to coach with the Greece national team as well, just you're getting unique players out of the woodwork that you wouldn't normally see or hear about. And I just get you get a message and it's like, hey, this guy's over in this country. It's like, wow, this guy actually this guy's actually got some potential. And it's just like trying to figure out ways to diversify our roster and give kids an opportunity. So I think box lacrosse has always been a big part of that. So hopefully we can kind of emulate sort of the grit and sandpaper of the indoor game, but with the, with the flow and the freedom of the outdoor game. Coach, you talk about your contacts and you probably have more contacts in the indoor league than anybody. Cause looking at your resume and it's no knock on you, but you, you almost ran out of teams to play for. You played for almost every <laughs> team in the NLL. So you've, you've got a lot of contacts in the Canadian market for sure. Yeah, it's interesting because if you look at the teams I was fortunate to be a part of, it's like for whatever reason, again, in the growth of the National Lacrosse League, I was in actually the last year of the major indoor lacrosse league with the original Boston Blazers when they formulated into the National Lacrosse League and became single ownership franchises. Then some of those teams were mom and pop ownership groups that really didn't get their legs under them. And for whatever, whatever reason, would fold up shop. So good karma, bad karma. It's like, I think there was four or five teams where it's like things, things went sideways for them financially as an organization. And it was like trying to find your way onto a new team. So I guess fortunate for me, my mindset and work ethic got me different places. I guess selfishly, I would have loved to just stay in one place and kind of been like a fixture in a market, but at the end of the day, I played a dozen years and it has been good to me. And with all the Team USA box experiences, as well as my Canadian, it's just like I couldn't ask for, for much more. And I'm very blessed and, and sort of privileged to play with, play with and be coached by some of the best of the best. So it's, it's nice looking back on that. You spent a lot of time in your coaching career in, in Florida. I'm curious, always curious how Long Island guys end up in Florida. <laughs> Well, I was actually in California at the time, and it was just oh, wow. like I was trying to figure out a way to kind of get back into sort of coaching. I was doing some club stuff and freelance with Panos Lacrosse, which is more like training kids and doing camps here and there. But but I wasn't really getting the competitiveness out of that and really getting that that game, the, the gamesmanship, if you will, at a high level. So I, I reached out to Coach Whipple because I had saw an opportunity at University of Tampa and really kind of the rest was history. So I was there for three years, enjoyed every minute of that. And then when the opportunity to come up to Queens, and this will be my seventh year now at Queens, it's been it's been great to kind of see different regions and markets again through my, my box career. I've seen all different areas of the country and the growth, and, and it's really fun to see that. So Florida is definitely, we got a bunch of guys on, from Florida on our roster now. We don't really see, it's not commonplace, I should say, that the assistant gets elevated to head coach. What was the process like 
for you when that happened to you at Queens? Yeah, I mean, great question. I mean, Coach Kivlin gave me the opportunity to kind of come up and I had initially tried to go for the head coaching position. I think I had gotten slid to the uh, the assistant coach pile. So I was like, I'm happy to take that opportunity. And, and it really was a good it was a good mesh because Coach Kivlin was really more of a defensive mind and I was bringing my offensive and it was just kind of a good mesh there. But he had gotten sick of maybe a year and a half into the into the process. And it was just sort of an interim basis did well there. And it was just kind of just it was just a good, it was just a good fit. I think things were going well, great communication with the athletic department and our athletic director, Sherry Swarthout. So it's been, it's been great support. I think every year we've gotten better and better. I think in just everything that we're doing, just trying to advance to the next year, whether it's our grades, our community service endeavors, fundraising, obviously on, on the, on the playing field, but offering a great experience for these young men to advance their lives and, and, and do it through, through Queens and in the city of Charlotte. You have such a diverse roster and players from all sorts of different walks of life and, and areas of the country in Canada. How do you coordinate your recruiting efforts to see that many kids from that many different places to come to Queens? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of events we pick and choose, sort of try to how we cover, really, we look at the map and it's like, how do we tap into events that we know for sure there's going to be really high quality talent, regardless who's going to be there. It's like, we got to hit this event. And then there's just one-off events that come up here and there. It's like, this could be a good opportunity, depending a lot of it's club directors, communication, high school coaches, for sure. Just guys that see them on a more consistent basis. I think the high school coach gives a little bit more creed to that. But then again, just seeing kids in different environments when we're out at events, how their body language is, how they approach their teammates, their coaches, just trying to find the difference in one or the other. And just, again, that evaluation piece is key. And so with my staff is, is, is really a quality over quantity. We want to make sure that we narrow down and check a lot of boxes outside of just lacrosse ability. We want to make sure that the character piece is high evident there. Obviously the academic component and the rigor, quite frankly, because Queens is a very strong school. And, and we want to make sure that when they when they transition in from high school, they're they're already doing high level work. And then just find trying to find guys that want to be really strong athletes, high performance, if you will. And those interviews that we have with the young men and their families, those are important so we can get a feel for for how we approach the next steps with someone we're, we have an interest in. We're going to take a quick break, but there's more Chasing the Goal podcast on the way. This winter, Piatelli Lacrosse has a great way for you to stay in shape and play lacrosse. Kyle, yes. Yeah, starting in January, we have box lacrosse leagues for youth and high school, players of all ages at two convenient locations in Agawam and Taunton, Massachusetts. The up-tempo pace of box lacrosse is an excellent way for players to learn to play faster and develop new skills that will make you more effective on the field in the spring. And coaches will be provided for each game, and all players will take part in mini-clinic prior to the game where we will work on different box lacrosse skills. Make the most of your offseason, play some box lacrosse. This program is open to all interested players. For more information on our Winter Box League, visit www.piatellilacrosse.com. Dedication, skills, focus, and the drive to play at the highest level. Massachusetts is committed to providing the coaching and curriculum that will allow boys and girls to learn and grow as individuals and as teammates. With an emphasis on skill development and academic excellence, their players have led the country in college recruiting for the past 10 years. With over 800-plus players moving on to play in college and over 130-plus high school All-Americans, Massachusetts has been able to set the nationwide standard unmatched in the sport of lacrosse. To learn more, log on to Massachusetts.com. That's Massachusetts.com. 
Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England lacrosse? New England Lacrosse Journal and LaxJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England lacrosse scene. Have every issue of New England Lacrosse Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to LaxJournal.com to receive daily digital lacrosse coverage on club lacrosse, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by logging on to laxjournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Lacrosse Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. You have a number of freshmen on your team, 14 going into 2023. How many of them do you think are going to contribute right away? And how has bringing in that many players affected your team? Is that kind of your goal every year? Are you looking to bring in 9 to 12 or 14? What's your what's your ideal class size? Yeah, I mean, the guys that we got coming in now, I mean, the expectations, we're always trying to improve. We're in the upgrade business, I like to say. So anytime we can make a move and upgrade the team without without upsetting the chemistry of the team, we certainly we certainly want to look at that. I would also say that the guys that we're looking for the future, so in this case, our 2024s, we really believe that that's our real first Division One class. So just, again, making sure we're checking the boxes, trying to look at guys that we think are could be playing in their freshman year, or at least pushing the needle to make sure that those other guys that are ahead of them are being pushed to the test if they're going to be prepared to come in strength conditioning-wise, skill, IQ. But I would say the number every year right now, probably 15 to 20, to be honest with you. Well, that's a lot of players to bring in every year. But again, you, you, I would imagine you've got to do that because you, the, the competition is going to be greater. So you need players that can come in, step in, and, and compete at that level right away. But going forward, you're probably not going to bring in 15, 20. I would say 12 to 15 after a couple of years. I would say just this year, maybe next year. And then once we hit our 2025, probably scale it back. Because at that point, we'll we, I feel like I'll have established a good foundation of talented players that can play at an elite level early in their career. And, and for the young men that maybe are older but may not be getting the minutes, we certainly retain those guys and give them a quality experience. And it's all part of the investment in the education and obviously the student-athlete experience. So... We want to make sure that we, we make sure that those guys are welcomed and there's there's no segregation whatsoever with our roster in that fashion. So we're, we're never going to be over 60. We've never even been at 60. I mean, right now, my roster is at 48. We might pick up a couple of mid-year transfers right now, but I mean, we're in a good spot. I think we got a lot of we got a lot of depth. We've got a lot of guys that are winners and we're going to kind of see we can just kind of build off that momentum. So your goal is 50 on your roster for most years, 50, 55? I would say somewhere between 45 and 55. I wouldn't say any more than that, to be honest with you. How much are you invested in using the transfer portal as part of your process for building your team? 
I mean, there's something to be said about the transfer portal. I look at it for a variety of ways. I mean, certainly talent base is like what first comes to mind, but then you got to, you got to understand there could be some, some baggage, so to speak, if you will, just kind of doing your due diligence to make sure that again, you don't want to upset the apple cart and bring in a guy that maybe is not a good fit, but could be talented. And you, you sort of get a, sort of prisoner of the moment of like you you get enticed and it's like let me just do a little more digging here and then it's like sometimes more often than not it's like man maybe not right now but you know again for us to the transition it's like we got to close the gap we got to narrow the margin so certainly I'm, I'm i'm not naive to the fact so we're certainly shopping we got a couple of guys in a couple of key positions that i think could help us and we're close to that for january but until that happens i mean we're happy with what we have we're going to go with the guys we have we're going to coach them up we're going to develop them we're going to compete we're going to be prepared but if we can we can put a little couple of icing on the cake if you will and some sprinkles to kind of maybe see where we can just get a little bit better quicker we'll, we'll certainly we'll address that yeah just heading into the asun lo looking at all the teams that are going to going to be in it and compete in 2023 it's literally an entire list of wild cards you guys included i mean i'm sure everyone's going to consider jacksonville an early favorite but jacksonville is a team that was kind of built a lot with the transfer portal and, and the culture that, that Coach Galloway has established down there. But you guys coming into it, I mean, Mercer as a new coach, Lindenwood is coming up with you guys. Robert Morris and Utah are now a couple, two years in with their, their head coaches. It's wild. It's, it's kind of the Wild West in the South, in a way. What have you done to kind of prepare for facing all of these teams? How much tape are you watching versus how much are you preparing for the spring season with yourself? I mean, I would say it's it's really more internal on, on, on us. It's not necessarily about those teams that everyone's got a new team and rosters and you don't really know what the rosters look like till the spring. It's just like we're we're focused on how can we improve Queens lacrosse every day, individually, collectively, and how we can get better in every facet of, of the game, physically and emotionally. And then when we when we have to dial up the scout and do the preparation, we will certainly do that and make sure we're more than prepared. And then it's up to the guys to execute and and we'll certainly, we're certainly prepared for the challenges, but we're a winning program and that's our mindset and we're going to be ready to play. Now that you're a division one program, are you allowed to do anything different in terms of time with the team or workouts, skill sessions, practices that will benefit you going into the 2023 season? I mean, we've done stuff a little bit differently. We started a little bit later in September just to kind of, we wanted to back it up to as close to Thanksgiving as possible. And then kind of once Thanksgiving, giving these guys an opportunity to really then focus up on the last couple of weeks of academics and do their finals. And then kind of we're trending upwards in all of our, our lifting and our skill testing, our fitness testing. Obviously we had our baseline of, of testing numbers and then we've been able to gradually ascend upward. More than 95% of our guys have increased all of their, all of their scores. So that's something to be said about that. And it's just, again, it becomes their discipline to do that throughout December, so to speak. The spring, we're going to start January 7th will be our first day. First day of class is January 9th. So we're excited to have that opportunity to kind of just get back together after the holidays. But uh, certainly want to enjoy the holidays, but, you know, in moderation and making sure that guys are attention to detail with their workout plans so they can come in relatively seamless transition to get back to what we were doing in the fall which was again a lot of skills just making sure guys are in good shape building chemistry and relationships and having opportunities to just get on the field together coach what would you say is your team's play style because i think a lot of people haven't seen queens play all that much and now you're going to be on on tv you're going to be in the d1 mix right so kind of describe what your team plays like what your identity is on the field and uh, offensive defensive tendencies 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're definitely trying to play fast. Again, this is this is again how we were playing customary down at our level there. It's like I don't think much is going to change. Certainly game the game, we're going to have to strategize and how much we push the tempo. But obviously, we want to play fast, tough, physical. Again, we're prepared, high level of skill and compete guys that are just laying it on the line. Um and and just every everything matters to us. Ground balls, the clearing game, we take pride in our ride and the ability to kind of cause disruption there and High octane offense, playing together, fast, tough, physical, and then unselfish. And then defensively, we're playing with playing with a chip on our shoulder, flying around, being disruptive, playing fundamentally sound with our with our footwork, being physical, under control where we need to be, and and trying to make plays and and steal plays and push those in transition to uh, capitalize there as well. So I think we got a lot of depth. I think we got a lot of speed and skill. Again, putting that up to the test next level. We'll we'll see what that looks like. But yeah, I'm excited to see what we can do. I think one of the biggest differences between Division Two and Division One is depth and size, not necessarily physicality, because I think that's always present in in college lacrosse, more so in, in D two than I think people realize. Right? I think there are high level D one D two teams, and there are not so high level D two teams, and and you've been part of the process to bring Queens up to a high level D two team. You're continually ranked. You were continually ranked in the top twenty, especially since in the last four four or five years since you've been at the helm. So. Is that the one differentiating factor for you? I know you're, you're bringing in a lot of guys, but are you looking more at size and athleticism now more than you did when you were recruiting for D2? Oh, 100%. I mean, again, it's I guess I always equate it to I've, I've played with some of the biggest guys and some of the smallest guys, and sometimes the smallest guys packs a punch, and it's like you never really want to just lie on that. I, I, I look for how guys compete, where their heart lies in terms of just their effort, what they're willing to do in terms of hustle, not just points on the board, catalysts, facilitators, erasers, I call on defense, guys that can basically take guys out of the equation and, and be game-changing you know, talents. So, but yeah, anytime you can be bigger, stronger, faster. I mean, that was certainly on display by intention when we scrimmaged Duke this fall. It was I knew that was going to be something where it's like, we'll see what these guys can do against our guys and kind of see where we stack up there. So certainly that was something there that definitely was was sort of something that kind of stood out. But credit to my guys, too, as well, because I thought we, we competed. And regardless of the scoreboard, it was just like it was it was a great way for us to kind of see. And that was really the, that was really the icing on the cake for our fall. We had we had competed all fall with each other and made lots of scrimmages within the, within the teams each weekend. But that was kind of the icing on the cake for us to kind of just see, all right, what have we done? What can we do? And how does this look? And then I think that's an advantage for us kind of having that tape to just be like, all right, we made some good plays here and here's some not so good plays. And it's like, wow, we did this against them. It's like, yeah, it's like, we just got to keep doing the little things. And it's like kind of grown some confidence from that. You're coming into 2023 and you do have to replace your two leading scorers who accounted for 178 of your points, which is, I'm going to go out on record and say that's wild. Uh, but you do have a lot of young talent. Your third leading scorer was a freshman. He's going to be a sophomore this year in Jack Royer. Can you kind of equate that job? Like how, how tough is that job to kind of not replace one guy? You kind of have to replace them with more than one guy, right? How do you evaluate players that are going to go into those spots at the next level? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. I mean, obviously replacing Keelan, Pilon, and Tyler Ewan, it's, it's a hard job to do. And I mean, those guys had tremendous chemistry and experience, and they're both NLL prospects. And it's just like credit to them for just everything that they've done and what they've brought to Queens, both individually and, and to our team's success. With regards to kind of replacing that, I mean, obviously you spoke of Jack Royer. Just, he's just he's sort of like a quarterback. We have some guys right now that we're just kind of just interchanging here and just trying to, again, trying to find that chemistry piece, kind of the versatility of moving guys around from midi to attack and kind of just some of the schemes that we're doing 
are, are sort of positionless where it's like, can these six guys go out there and make plays together and formulate a plan with some creativity and a little bit of structure, but more it's like, we need, we need those guys to just be playmakers and, and distributors and sort of multi-threat to offensive personnel. So a combination of Canadian guys, some field guys, American, and just trying to figure out what those look like and uh, getting guys to be playing at their strength. So certainly, certainly some some guys that you'll be hearing about maybe that aren't some marquee names now that hopefully can make a name for themselves. Coach, as a Division Two head coach at Queens, you had certain expectations of your team in terms of winning the conference championship, making the NCAA tournament. What are your expectations or how do you set the expectations for this team without limiting their potential? Yeah, I would say looking at how, again, we approach each year, like small goals, big goals. GPA is always a goal academically. We want to just try and make sure we're maintaining that 3.2 or above. We kind of have that in there. Obviously, how we look at the conference and just kind of the landscape of that, again, to, to our conversation earlier, there's 10 teams. It's like you got Lindenwood and us. They're two upstart D2 transition programs. And then there's those other eight programs that are strong. So it's like, how do we factor into that conversation? Again, we're, we're trying to get, get into the top six. So that's our team goal is knowing that whether we were to get into the NCAA or not, it, it would have to go through the conference anyway. So, so the reality is that we're always going to want to try and win the conference. When we played in the SAC, we always wanted to try to win the conference because there was no automatic qualifiers in the Division II landscape. So you kind of had to hope and wait for the regional rankings and the committee to actually look at your strength of schedule and look at those parameters to say, okay, they are worthy of the, to those those seedings. Division one and division three had those AQs per se. So you you kind of you you punch your ticket or you don't. So that's where I think for us it's like the mindset for us is we want to be conference champions because that's going to give us the best chance to get into the tournament. With while it is the chance to get in, it used to be we hope to get into the tournament if we win it. It wasn't a guarantee with division one and especially specifically the ASON. You would have that you would have that right. It's got to kind of be a little bit of a double-edged sword going forward, right? Because if you if you do really well this year, you, you, you crush people, no one sees you coming, you get a couple great victories, it's going to be hard to get out of conference scheduling to get your RPI up because people might not want to play you because they might be scared of losing you, right? Like, how do you navigate that? I mean, obviously, your job is to just win the game, right? Like, that's that's the goal. That's everyone's goal, but... There's another element to scheduling here that I think is kind of kind of strange and fun to talk about a little bit, right? Yeah, I mean, definitely. When you look at scheduling, it's just like trying to ideally, again, there's, there's a financial component as well, because if you have to go this place, that place, you're kind of like, OK, well, that's going to be way too much or I can't bring as many guys because we got to fly or so there's certainly those things that are constraints that we have to look at. Um, however, and I think, you know, I think as this sport grows and certainly in our region, I say the mid Atlantic, if you will, like there's a lot of teams that we can get to within six, seven hours with the buses and when now, whether those teams want to play us out of conference, that remains to be seen to your point to strength the scheduling. It's like, whether the fear of playing a team an upstart team, and it's like, oh my gosh, like I lost that team. First, I would say, if you did lose to us, you losing to a good team, but then it's like, all right, well, scheduling, it's like, well. You try to get a home and home with a team. So it's like, right. I'll come to you, you come to me, and then we'll see what happens after that to kind of have that little bit of an agreement. But Charlotte is an enticing place to get northern teams to come down. So my hope is it's like, hey, come, can we come down and play in February? And the answer would be, let me just take a look. But hopefully, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just looking at your schedule, you're one Baltimore school, Baltimore region, but you are playing Wagner in Baltimore. So I, I'm a little surprised. I don't you know, no Towson on here. I would think one of those teams would be kind of like a, a good a good fit for you guys, good test for you guys early. Have you found that 
difficult to to get those teams to to say yes to to a home and home and you know what maybe if you're looking forward like what kind of teams would you want to play like what other conferences do you think fit in against the A-Sun to test you guys and be super competitive yeah I mean when you look at regionally it's like the ACC schools makes the most sense I mean you got Duke and Chapel Hill that are within two hours however it's like they may not want to play us at a conference because they may want to play Big Ten and, and Atlantic Ten and kind of put their schedule together ivy league depending on what they feel is best for their for their vision of what makes sense for them for for me i'm trying to look at teams that want to play us hopefully home and home i was able to work out the navy game which is an incredible experience and opportunity to be our first real division one game up at navy so that's exciting i got a home and home at vmi in hampton so that'll be at least for us knowing looking ahead that we got a couple there to to look upon and then really to your point of of what other teams i mean i feel like a richmond uva again those teams it's like it's regionally it makes sense for us financially it makes sense for us but for somebody else it may not make sense for their for their scheduling purposes of of their bigger vision of what they're trying to do with their with their team yeah playing a navy marine corps no joke that's an amazing first opening game looking forward to that what do you think is your team's response going to be to that? Because obviously you want them to respond well, but that's a pretty big venue to have your first D1 game. That's, I mean, it's clearly by design, as you indicated. How did that come about? And what do you think, what do you hope to gain from that experience as your first D1 game? Well, there's so many levels to that question. I would say first and foremost, the opportunity to, to play at a service academy. I, my father was in the army and it's an opportunity for us to just take that experience in and just have our guys just feel that energy of that. Knowing that their opponents are going to go serve our country, I think there's another layer of respect there. Coach Amplo and I went to the same high school. We were actually college roommates at Hofstra under Coach Danowski back in the day. So there's that mutual respect and relationship and admiration. So he welcomed that opportunity as well so that was just like wow i'm like this is gonna and it's on a sunday so it's the first weekend of lacrosse so for us it's kind of just it puts it really a, a little bit more of a spotlight on it on a sunday because most of the teams will have played a game and i think there's a couple games on that sunday but hopefully a lot of people are like hey what is what does queens have to say let's see what they're all about and hopefully we get some eyeballs on the game and hopefully we show up well and, and we'll take it all in yeah i remember when utah played denver and utah's first season and it was like a Real close game. It was the first game. No one knew it was happening, and it went down to the wire. It's Anything can happen. I think that's exciting. Do you think teams maybe are taking you for granted because you're just coming up from D2? Do you think they're they're kind of overlooking you a little bit? I mean, I, 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 I can't speak for other folks. I mean, I would say I, I respect all my opponents on the schedule. I, I'm never going to overlook anybody. I'm going to prepare as much as possible and get my guys ready to go. But ultimately, when you look at how teams perceive us, I mean – We've been successful. What does that translate to the next level? I hope so. There's not a lot of things that we're going to necessarily change in terms of what we do. But then again, the competition is obviously elevated. But I think uh, I would imagine teams are going to prepare for us and we'll see what happens. You've got a really young staff. I think the the combined experience is probably around like five years for, for both of your guys. How do you what's the advantage of that for you? What's the advantage of having a younger staff? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, obviously, I, again, I, I try to surround my people with uh, that are hungry, that are that are success driven, that have a strong work ethic, that want to that want to be great and want to learn. We learn from each other. But certainly, I don't have all the answers by any means, and I learn a lot from my younger coaches and my players as well. Just in terms of technology and ideas and collaboration and just different ways of doing things, that's pretty unique and dynamic to as a coach to kind of still have those relationships and be able to learn from from those guys like that. So I'm I'm very grateful for the, for Nick and and Jeff and Spencer on my staff 
terms of the academic requirements to get into admissions at Queens, what does it take for a student athlete to be accepted at Queens? Yeah, great question. I mean, obviously, it's not it's not a transcript and and test sort of scale. It's uh, we're more of a holistic review. Obviously, the transcript, the rigor, the academic curriculum, A's and B's. Really, they don't really like C and C's, D's. Certainly not F's. I would say we're test optional. However, I would always encourage an ACT or an SAT as just as a as a baseline, and then kind of from there looking at what those scores may look like. Maybe you include it, maybe you don't. There's another heavy emphasis on the on an essay. They really want to kind of dive into someone's essay and kind of see where they're at there. And then obviously there's, there's some pretty good academic awards. And then obviously with scholarships, we're able to kind of put some packages together where we can kind of stack, if you will. Yeah. In terms of stacking, explain that a little bit. You're talking about merit money, scholarship money, and possibly a need as well. So basically it would be an academic number. And then we have guys on our team that just get academic. We have guys on our team that get academic and athletic. It just kind of depends on each individual. But in essence, we're looking at the academic number. And then if, if we really feel like we need to address the athletic side to get the, get the player, we will certainly put some athletic money on that as well. Now, do your scholarship numbers change at all from Division two to Division one? No, we had, I think we had 10.8 and that's kind of what we're operating at now, which is, that's not 12.6, but I know there's teams that have lower than that. So I feel like I'm certainly not going to complain. I'm going to use the money wisely and, and try to invest in the right guys and, and build those guys up. So for the, our audience and parents and players listening, there, there aren't a lot of full scholarships available for, for a lot of players that are looking to get scholarship money. I mean, I would say every program's individual to that. Have I given a, a full ride? It's my 10th year coaching. Uh, maybe close to it once. And yeah, not usually. It usually it's usually a, it's usually a, ba- a good balance of ac- academic, quite frankly. And, and then and then we try to help them out as much as we can. So it's a lot easier or to get money or the, the academic piece certainly drives the financial reward. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause we want to make sure we're bringing, we're bringing some meat to the table on that. And then we can obviously look at that and be like, all right, he's a really strong student. It's like, all right, he's a really good player. It's like, all right, let's make this happen. And we kind of figure that out from there. Sometimes it could be above the athletic academic. No, it could be above that or below it, just depending on kind of how serious we are and what we need to invest. Yeah. We try to hammer that home on the podcast a lot because we both coach and we have parents that are just like, Oh, well, do you think he'll get a full ride? And I'm like, that doesn't exist. Stop asking me that question. Like, how, how, why do I keep getting asked that question? It's 2022. Like, we, we have to be realistic about lacrosse and, and realistic about the classroom and how they connect and how both things can get you into the right fit, right? And not every player is going to have the career that you had in the NLL and spend, what, 10, 12 years in the NLL. And obviously, you didn't make a living doing it. You had to work and be, uh, play professional lacrosse. If you don't have a full time job, you, you're struggling to pay your bills. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you got to have the bigger vision. I mean, for the guys that do get to play professionally, I always tell them, look, you got an opportunity to play, take it and run with it. But like, let's just make sure we back it up with a, with a really strong degree. And our guys have done a really good job in the classroom. And then for the guys that have been able to play at the next level professionally, I'm like, cr- credit to them. It's, it's good exposure for them. It's great for the university. And then obviously they always have the, the degree to push them forward. Coach, I think you have a really unique opportunity here heading into 2023. Because you're going into a new conference. Everyone else in the conference is new. You get to create your own rivalry, kind of. So I think, I don't want to pick it for you. But I think, obviously, Lindenwood is what probably everyone would see as a natural one. Because you're both being elevated at the same time. But are you, are you looking forward to that part of it? Like, the, the real challenge of, like, all right, well, 
I, and listen, coaches don't talk about this all, a lot, but like there was like coaches are like, oh, I hate this team. I can't wait to beat this team. This team extra motivates me. Do you think that's going to be a part of your, your approach or do you think you're just going to try and take it as it comes? I, I like, I like when there's rivalries. So I'm asking you if you want to kind of not create one on the podcast right now, but do you think that's going to be part of your process moving forward? I mean, I think that's going to naturally establish itself. I would say in the sack, it was just like before Limestone was in there, it was always LR and Wingate. We were kind of fighting it out. And then when Limestone came in, it's just like that. And now Newberry, it's just like, it's just like, I think that just naturally happens because you're consistently playing those teams. And then when you start playing them in the playoffs and it's just like, you're kind of recruiting against each other. And it's just like, and it's just a competitive when you look at it from the recruiting perspective. And then obviously when you get there on game day, you only get the 60 minutes to really do that. But I think just regionally, you look at obviously Mercer's in Georgia, we're in North Carolina. It's like, I feel like that's going to heat up a little bit. We got quite a few Georgia kids on our roster and they got quite a few North Carolinas. Like, so I feel like that's going to be something. Obviously, Lindenwood, we never got to play them. Much respect to their program and strong playoff contenders last year. We'll see what that looks like, but I, I'm excited to play them and kind of see how we stack up there. And every team in our conference, I've watched them play multiple times and I, I can't wait to kind of see where, where we stack up, but it's going to be exciting and, and we'll take it. We'll take them head on. Well, Coach, we'll definitely be watching that Navy game on February 5th. Do you know if that's going to be televised yet or what network um, it'll be on? Yeah, I mean, there'll be more probably details on that. I'm not 100% sure. I would imagine just because of it's the first game, I would think there'd be something around that. But I would imagine like ESPN Plus would be a safe bet. Great. Well, Coach, we want to thank you so much for your time. Thanks for coming on the podcast. We appreciate you and, and good luck with Queens in 2023, man. It's going to be fun. Hey, thank you guys for all you do for the sport. I appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Coach. Appreciate it. Happy holidays. You too. Bye, guys. Bye-bye. Thanks again for listening to New England Lacrosse Journal's Chasing the Gold podcast. For Jack Piatelli, I'm Kyle Devitt. We'll see you next time.